The scripture reading this morning is Psalm 139, 1 through 12, and 23 through 24. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become the night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. Well, let's do something different this summer about songs. At least some of them. There's a lot of them, so we'll look at a few of them this summer. Martin Luther discovered a long time ago that, in a way, the Psalms are all we need. He said that the Psalms are a little Bible, wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. So many have said that the, the Psalms are really the the prayer book of Jesus. They're what he thought about and leaned on and, and prayed about. One of my seminary professors spoke of the Psalms as like no other literature. They lift us to a position where we can commune with God, he said, capturing a sense of the greatness of his kingdom and a sense of what living with him for eternity will be like. Psalms, he went on to say, are basically prayers and hymns. By their very nature, they are addressed to God or express truth about God in song. In song. Don't you wish we had the original score to all those psalms that are in our Bible? So many of these psalms we know are attributed to King David, this boy singer out there in the fields with his harp, his lyre, his flute, perhaps, writing songs about his relationship with God. Such an emotional young man, how he experienced God, what he understood about God, how he processed his own emotion back to God, all in song. David was all heart and soul. And rather than writing a 150-chapter book about God, he 
wrote songs. I suppose he was one of the first to think and to hold that our faith really is best expressed in song. You ever think it's strange that church is about the only place where we get together with people and sing? Maybe, you know, halfway through the seventh inning, we sing a little bit. But here, here is where it happens for us, right? What would it be? I mean, you know, who shows up at work on a Monday morning before going into the morning meeting? You know, we gather with our co-workers in the break room, maybe, and we all get together and say, oh, what a beautiful morning, or, you know, something, right? You do that at work? No, it's just here, only here. We sing about God, we sing about our hearts, we sing about all that is happening, and we, we put that together and we give it to God. C.S. Lewis was often troubled by the Psalms because, as he said, they're so real. They unwrap the human condition. They lay it bare. Yet he couldn't stay away as the Psalms kept pulling him back to the one who knows him and reveals a God of, of mystery and intimacy. Lewis would say that the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God that made David dance. So there will be no dancing this summer that I know of. Feel free if you're so led, but I don't dance much. Maybe in the kitchen a little bit with you know, Ed Sheeran playing in the background. Maybe, but not here. But there will be music. There will be music. Psalm 139. Let's listen. And as you listen, I invite you to open the Pew Bible to I think it's page 609, but to Psalm 139. Surrounds us, is with us. This psalm opens with this beautiful statement that we heard. These statements that seem to come in pairs from David. Search me and know me. Know me and perceive me. Discern me and you, are fam- you discern and are familiar with all of my ways. Until verse 6 when he sums up this attentive nature of God by saying such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The knowledge of God, of us. It's comprehensive. Whether we sit or whether we rise. Whether we are on the move, or whether we are settled down, wherever we are, whatever our lives are about, God knows. Even the words that we are are just getting ready to utter, God knows them completely. He is behind and before. We are known completely. And that can be an intimidating thought, perhaps, Maybe even some terror at the very thought that there's nowhere to hide from being known so fully. As Lewis also wrote, it's finding out that we are not our own masters. That there's nothing ever in the deepest recesses of our thoughts about which we could ever say of God, keep out, or private, 
or this is my business. No, we're hemmed in, David writes, behind and before. It's so personal, it's so intimate, the psalm, which for an ancient Israelite was something quite new. Most of the Old Testament was written for the community of, of God's people. God was creating a nation. He was forming a people. The law of, of Moses was mostly about how to be community together, how to be this nation together. Except for the Psalms. The Psalms have this personal way about them, don't they? It's as if Scripture has moved from this very corporate sense to a very personal way with the Psalms. It's different. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lift my eyes up into the hills, from whence cometh my help. Psalm 139 is this ultimate personal psalm that seems to speak to us in our individual lives about the persistent nature of God, that God does not leave us alone, that he he knows the intricate parts of our lives and just follows us, is there with us. How do you handle being so often thought of by God? so completely and fully under God's hand. Are you encouraged? Are you threatened? Maybe both. I like the line that I read this week. It says that so long as I am looking to my own self-pleasing and away from God, I shall feel God's overwhelming knowledge of me as a threat. And as soon as I turn from self to God, it became a comfort. The Apostle Paul would later write about these same sorts of ideas, saying that God searches our hearts and he praises the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. God knows us. Picked up a, a hitchhiker last summer. He was just out along the interstate, I was coming back to the little church up in Montana where I was serving, and I was coming home, just up in Dillon, Montana, then coming back down I-15. You know, if you know that stretch of the country, it's vast. <laughs> and there's not much but except for cattle out there. And so I, that was my commute <laughs> each week. And I came along the highway just a little south of Lima, by the Lima Peaks and coming up over Monida Pass. And there was this guy walking along the highway, literally out in the barrens of Montana, all by himself, miles from nowhere. Guess all, that's another song. <laughs> Just all sage and sky out there, and then this guy. At first, I thought he must be one of those through-hikers on the Continental Divide Trail. Uh, but the more I thought about it, he didn't seem like he had all the right gear on his back. But by then, it was too late. I'd slowed just a tad, and he was running up the shoulder <laughs> after me, and so I pulled over to a stop. 
He got in with his pack and his stuff and introduced himself with his full name, first, middle, and last name. And he soon offered up that he was a, a half Native American, a young guy, just out of high school. Been on the road for about four weeks, he said, out of the Bay Area. Had hitchhiked up the Northern California coast, up to Washington, to the Olympic Peninsula, and then had come east, across Washington, Idaho, and into Montana. And now is heading here, Salt Lake, coming south. I asked if he was camping, and he said, well, I've got night clothes. <laughs> and he was quiet as we drove along, as we went over the pass. The pass turned into the Snake River Plain, and just that wide open nature of that countryside. And he said he might go on to Oklahoma to go to airplane school. And I asked him a few questions about that. He said he'd like to be a pilot someday. I said, oh, you like to fly? He says, no, I've never actually been in an airplane. I think he just wanted to go. <laughs> I think he wanted to fly. He seemed a bit lost, and after a while I felt the, the father in me awakening. <laughs> so I, I asked him if he had talked to his mother since he'd left home. He said, no. But then he, he pulled a, a, a wrinkled, kind of crumpled up postcard out of his pocket and then said on the front of the postcard, welcome to Missoula. <laughs> so I was really feeling my dadness <laughs> at this point. And so I, I said, I've got a pen. And I'd be glad to put this in the mail for you if you want to take a moment to write a note to your mom. So he did. And when I dropped him off where I turned east to go home, I read the card. He told her the day's date, and he said that he'd left Missoula a few days before, and he was heading east, and that he was going to travel for a while, which apparently was not the plan. Then he signed off simply by saying he loved her. So my heart was full as I watched in the rearview mirror him standing on that off-ramp looking for his next ride. And I thought, does anybody know him? Is anybody paying attention to him. And I thought about Psalm 139. You have searched me. You know me, Lord. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows him completely. It's this overwhelming promise of Scripture, of our faith, to be known by God Yet it's not always so simple to arrive at this understanding that God is, is this personal for us and to us. We might use some very personal language when we speak of our faith. So often we say or we hear, well, God told me to do this, and God told me to go there, and sometimes I just want to say, well, how? How did God do that for you? I would like to know. Wouldn't we like to know that? We believe that God possesses all these qualities of personhood, right? Because God is relational and emotional and intelligent and cooperative sometimes and sometimes resilient. God is, we, we think God functions like we do, and we operate in many ways like that, but it can be so very disconcerting that some people seem to have this close, almost voice-to-voice -voice relationship 
with God. When for so many of us, the experience is much more murky. Like Paul, now I, I see through a glass dimly, but then, meaning heaven, I'll see, we'll see face to face. One theologian has said that traditional theology seems like reading recipes to the starving, like an unslaked thirst. Like recipes for the starving. Ever had that experience with God? Just felt like you're not quite connecting. Last week I quoted Frederick Buechner, a Presbyterian author, and I came across his words again this week. When he was truly searching for God and really expected to hear from God in this very personal way, it was a time for him, he said, of tense anticipation, pleading for some definite sign from God. So this is what he had to say. He said, in just such a place, on just such a day, I lay down in the grass with just such wild expectations, part of which it means to believe in God, at least part of what it means for me, is to believe in the possibility of miracle. And because of a variety of circumstances, I had a very strong feeling at that moment that the time was ripe for a miracle. My life was ripe. And the very strength of the feeling itself seemed a kind of vanguard of miracle. Something was going to happen. Something extraordinary that I could perhaps even see and hear. And I was so nearly sure of it that I, in retrospect, I am surprised that by the power of auto-suggestion, I was unable to make it happen. But the sunshine was too bright, the air too clear, some residual skepticism in myself was too sharp to make it possible to imagine ghosts among the apple trees or voices among their yellow jackets. And nothing like I expected happened at all. Darn. <laughs> right? Weren't you hoping that would go somewhere else? <laughs> then Beekner, he wonders, why couldn't God use a language less susceptible to doubt and misinterpretation? Psalm 139 seems to come across the distance with this word of promise that even when God seems quiet and we are out wandering the landscape, offering prayers like crumpled postcards from Montana, that God is there. And he knows us in, in the middle of those circumstances. How God does surround us, we read, that you perceive my thoughts from afar. It really is meant to be a comfort to us. Again and again, David's understanding of God is one of, of you are there. Remember the old poem, The Hound of Heaven, Francis Thompson's poem, where he speaks of God as being a, one of long, restless pursuit of us. He says, I have fled him down the nights and down the days I fled him, down the arches of the years. And it's an echo of David's psalm here, of going up to heaven and down into the depths of the earth or flying east to meet the dawn or west to the far side of the sea. Yet it's all in vain, for, for God is there too. One Bible commentator said that perhaps more scary than a God who pursues you to the ends of the earth 
is the one who was already there when you arrive. Where can I go to flee from your presence, O Lord? Wherever we wander, even when it seems that we might be lost, the answer is there's nowhere to go to flee from the presence of God. The writer Anne Lamont once described her own life in terms of how she came to understand that God knows her completely. And she said it was very slow, a gradual return to faith for her. She moved into a neighborhood that had a little Presbyterian church, and she used to go by on Sunday mornings but not go in. And she would hear the people singing, she said, and she would stand outside the door and wait week after week, month after month, until finally she, she wrote about this, and she said she finally was getting up the courage to step through the door. And she says that God had been pushing and nudging and prodding her along the way. And finally, one Sunday, she stood at that, on that doorstep and just said, I quit. I quit. She says, I took a long breath and said out loud, all right, you can come in now. And she went in. Or Kathleen Norris, who we quote on the bulletin today on the front, she too spoke about years of what she said was dabbling with God. She said, I came to understand that God hadn't lost me, even if I seemed for years to have misplaced God. He hadn't lost me. God had not forgotten me, she said. Someone once said, if you don't feel as close to God as you used to, who do you suppose moved? You know, watching my young friend fade in my rearview mirror out there on the highway last summer made me think of the people I love and I miss. You know, my mom, my kids, people from past church families, old friends. And the only comfort that really comes in all of that is this understanding that if we have a God who knows them, is everywhere and is in everything. Our God who is there, even the darkness is not dark to you, David says. And so our God who knows us and surrounds us, and we hear God has made us fearfully and wonderfully woven together, or intricately wrought, the Revised Standard Version puts it, by a God who, even on that tiny embryo scale, was engaged in this task that was much like the original immense task of creation, creating you and me. God has not pulled back, has not gone into hiding, leaving us alone to wander the, the vast landscape of our lives. We are from beginning to end in the thoughtfulness of our Creator. These countless thoughts, more than the grains of the sand, David writes. How vast is the sum of them. Do you have that sense that God thinks about you? That God knows about you? Every intricate part of you has sculpted your, your unknown being and brought it to life. All the stages of life, 
that are spread out before us. God knows. Recently, my oldest brother, he handed me a manila folder full of photographs. On the front of the folder, it simply said Steve. I thought, wow, a Steve pack. <laughs> and the photos were all related to, to me and my family, my kids, and so forth. He had rescued a, a box of photographs from my dad's garage and had spent hours sorting through them, and he gave these little packs to each of his brothers. That's something strange to do, to stare at all these images of your life, you know, going back. Is it even me? When you look into those faces, is that me? What happened to my hair? It's even stranger, I suppose, to consider, as David does, that God has all those days ordained. That God has, God knows all that stuff. Prepared before I even lived one day, the psalm says. All those days, all those events, all that development, all that emotion, all that psychology, you know, all those relationships, all those circumstances, all of it, God knows. I kept a few of those photos. And the main question that keeps coming to mind as I, I look at them is, how long have you known me, God? How long have you been thoughtful of me? There's a line from a movie about two characters. I think it was the Count of Monte Cristo. One of the characters expressed his lack of faith. He says, I don't believe in God. His friend says something probably more vital, returns it saying, well, God believes in you. Even when we don't quite believe, God believes in you. How precious to me are your thoughts, oh God, how vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, Lord, when I awake, I am still with you. Hard to fathom. Being known by God at, at once so distant and murky and yet also somehow so near it's more comfort than threat more hope than fear to be known completely intricately by God there's a scene at the beginning of John's gospel where Philip who's been called by Jesus to follow and Philip grabs a few other guys one of them is Nathaniel and Nathaniel's taking care of his own stuff his own affairs his running his business, he's living his life, paying his bills, and Jesus sees Nathanael and approaches him. And then Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus says simply, I, I saw you under the fig tree. That's it, isn't it? That's how it works, isn't it? How Christ comes into our lives. It's while we're sitting under the tree, he sees us and comes to us. He doesn't force the issue, but at some point he speaks our name and waits for us. He waits for our response, our faith, our trust, our, our love. If I take the wings of the morning and I settle on the farthest limit of the sea, even there, your hand shall guide me, and at night, your right hand shall hold me fast. Amen.
Lord, you hem us in behind and before. We are so thankful that you are the God who knows us and cares for us. You do not let us go. May we hear your voice. And may you find us just sitting under the tree waiting for you. And may we hold fast to you even as you hold fast to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.